thanks again for bearing with us. Uh, so we're doing something a little bit different this morning, as you probably figured out by now, either by looking at your program or, or looking up here, um, which is that instead of a sermon for this last week of the work series, we're going to have a panel discussion. And uh, the idea behind this is, is pretty straightforward. Um, what would be tragic as we wrapped up this series on how our faith is supposed to influence our work is if the concepts that we've been talking about on Sunday mornings for the last five weeks somehow didn't transfer to Monday morning, if this was just a a church thing and it never became part of your working life. Now, obviously, community groups are intended to prevent that. The whole point of community groups is to be this bridge between Sunday mornings and real life and to show you what application looks like to figure that out. But for this series, which was supposed to be even more practical than uh, an average sermon series, uber practical, the, uh, what we wanted to do is actually devote a whole Sunday to this and hear from practitioners, people that are actually trying to do this and uh, integrating their faith with their work. So the, the seven people who are up here who you'll meet in just a moment Uh, The reason I asked them to participate in this isn't because they've got it all figured out, um, which they'd be the first to say. Uh, It's because they're people who are trying, and uh, they're people that I know have, for a number of years, A, taken their faith very seriously, B, taken their work very seriously, and so, therefore, C, they've been thinking for a number of years about what it means to integrate those two things together. And that's what we're going to be hearing about this morning. So if you look on the back of your program, you got the questions that you can uh, follow along with us as we go. There's six of them. And uh, the first question, we're just going to dive right in. The first question, um, I've actually asked all seven of them to answer. Uh, So some of the other ones, we're only going to have three or four respondents. But this first one, they're all seven going to answer. And I'll have you guys introduce yourself as we go as well. Um, tell us what you do. Uh, first, your name, and then tell us what you do. Tell us a little bit about your work so everybody knows where you're coming from on, on that front. So the first question, as you see there on your program, is, was God involved in the process of choosing your profession? If so, how do you feel like God has put you in your particular job at this particular time for a reason? If you remember, this goes back to the week two sermon on Esther. We talked about God placing Esther in a particular time and in particular position for a reason. And so this, this first question, I'll read it again, is based on that. Was God involved in the process of choosing your profession? If so, how? Do you feel like God has put you in your particular job at this particular time for a reason? We'll start here with Jasmine. Hi, good morning. Uh, I'm Jasmine. I work for a nonprofit here in New York City. Um, its mission is to completely alleviate poverty. Um, Last week, Matt talked about Wall Street. I like to think that we're the charity that goes knocking on Wall Street's door when they uh, need to feel a little bit better about uh, how they're making some of that money. So I'm happy to take it off of their hands and be the washing machine for their sins, so to speak, Um, and and then put all of that money to very good use helping others. Um, Should I go on about being there? Uh, I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure why I'm there. I don't believe that there are any accidents, so I do believe there's probably a a very great purpose for it. Um, I'll move on to Dan. Hi, everyone. My name is Dan. Um, I own a commercial moving moving company here in New York. We primarily move businesses, 
And when I got into the profession in 1998, I wasn't a believer, so I can definitely say I didn't consult with God um, when I was looking uh, to get into that field. But then in the beginning of 2010, oh, in 2010, sorry, um, my wife Nancy and I started reading the Bible, and um, I guess you could say we were curious about Christianity, and as we were doing that, um, we started attending a church, and I started realizing that I couldn't stay at a company that didn't follow God's principles for my life. So on October 1st, 2010, I started um, the company where I'm at now with a partner, and then on October 10th, 2010, I made uh, Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. And ever since then, um, I've been doing my very best just to make our company follow God's principles. Dan, tell us a little bit about why you felt like the company you were at before you started your current company wasn't consistent with your faith. I think that'd be interesting um, to hear about. Well, I, I could just see how the owners were not doing things um, appropriately, ethically, and I said, I'm not going to take my faith, and I'm not going to, um, I guess, marginalize it, or it, it, it won't be for me. I can't If I can't do and live out practically, I'm going somewhere where I can. Hi. Um, Todd Komernicki. I'm a writer and a filmmaker, and um, definitely did not choose either. Was chosen completely against my will. I had no interest in writing. It's really hard, and <laughs> I've been stuck doing it 27 years now, and it's, it's even harder. So um, I wanted to be a rock star. And that, that, all I have left of that is the jacket. <laughs> so God just kept saying, no, no, no. Um, I remember one, one night playing a club on the Lower East Side, and we were packing up afterwards, and the guitarist and I were counting up the, the money that we'd made that night. We each got $29. And I was 29 years old, and I said, I don't think this is a sustainable business model. Um, but what's interesting about... Uh, the notion of being chosen to do something is that it was the beginning of me learning the sweetest secret I've gotten from Christ, which is to not want what I want, only to want what he wants. And now that I'm old and gray, I know that, and life is so much easier. I guess you have to bang your way through it in your 20s and 30s, but um, that's, that's the best thing to say. It's just total surrender to what he wants and then you wind up doing what you and he want. My name is Bethany Norvell and I am an assistant compliance officer for a multi-billion dollar hedge fund and um, I would absolutely say that God was part of um, bringing me there. <laughs> um, when I graduated um, or as a communication major, <clears throat> I considered uh, getting my master's and teaching or doing full-time ministry, thinking that that was the way that God could use me most fully. But when I graduated, um, a door opened for me to go to Sopo, Poland and teach English. And uh, that experience um, kind of prepared me for life out of my comfort zone and life in New York City. And um, I came to New York to visit Grant, who was my boyfriend at the time, and I gave myself th like a week to find a job and an apartment. And within three days, God had provided both. And um, I started working um, as a receptionist at a hedge fund as the 16th hire. And um, 
found favor in the eyes of our chief legal officer who encouraged me to go back to NYU and got my paralegal certification and um, kind of pursue um, life in the legal field, I guess you could say, or in the compliance world. And um, over, I wore many, hat, I've worn, worn many hats over the course of my time there, um, administrative assistant and um, our internal PR person, and um, uh, I never would have dreamed that God um, would have taken me where he has, but um, it's, uh, uh, it's great, and I love it, and I love the people that I work with, and um, I'm, I feel that I'm there um, to remind people that it's not about investments and it's not about making money. It's about who people are um, outside of their education, outside of what they make. Um, instead of fighting poverty or homelessness, I feel like I'm fighting like materialism and um, uh, pride and this idea that those things can um, mean more. What's up, y'all? I'm Dan Ferris. Um, I am, I wear many hats, but um, I would say I'm an industrial designer, a craftsman, and a host for several shows on HGTV and DIY Network. And hands down, God had a huge part in getting me to where I'm at um, in choosing my profession in general. I followed my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, here about 10 years ago. She works in fashion. So I know it's cliche, I followed the girl to New York City, but honestly thought I would be here about a year. Um, I have a biology degree, so uh, I was selling medical equipment, I found a great job, it paid well, but I really wasn't fulfilled. Um, And like I said, I thought I'd be here a year, I'm going on 10 years now, but I will say one of the biggest factors I think um, in me following, you know, I, I think there were a series of events, God sort of... Um, opened my eyes and unveiled my passion, uh, which I always thought of as a hobby, um, and and showed me a way to make it a career. But um, going back to one of of the biggest things in my life uh, that ever happened still to this day, besides having kids, um, is my dad passed away at the ripe age of 50 of a massive heart attack, just suddenly. So it it really changed my perspective about life and, and made me think about how precious each day is, Um, and how we all have gifts from God and um, how we should use those on a daily basis. So um, he sort of opened my eyes and and showed me that these these hobbies that I was still tinkering in uh, for sanity, you know, to get away from selling medical equipment uh, could become a career, and he opened several different paths. Um, And it's been a winding journey and a lot of work, but um, something I never could have done without him and um, without my faith, for sure. Morning. I'm Moses. Uh, I'm a founder of a technology company that focuses on the live music industry. Uh, so to be to be honest, God was not in the initial decision, at least was not consulted in the initial decision to start this company. It was at a time when I had not started taking my faith as seriously as I do now. Um, I was working on Wall Street before and I just hated it. Uh, I, for numerous reasons, my team, the work was not inspiring. Um, and so I left to start this company then. And uh, it's interesting, over time, God has become involved more and more in the day-to-day decisions. Like There have been numerous opportunities that I've had to kind of 
leave and abandon it and God is you know now that I have the ethical standard that God provides I know that I have to honor my commitment and not do that and so uh, God is in the ongoing decisions that I'm making Uh, as far as a broader purpose I don't know that God has me for in this for any external purpose I do feel like there's been a lot of internal growth both spiritually and personally uh, as a result of doing this this is the most challenging thing I've ever done the first really challenging thing I've ever done Um, and so you know realizing how inadequate I am and relying on him I've just drawn closer and closer to God uh, in this and so that's that's kind of been uh, the the purpose that I've I've seen more more internal than external Hi, I'm John, and I'm actually currently on a three-month mandatory vacation between jobs, and I think that God has really given me a calling to be a professional vacationer. Um, I, I really feel like he's with me when he's rubbing on the sunblock on the beach. Um, but uh, when I'm not vacationing, um, I'm in investment banking. Um, I finance uh, large infrastructure and energy projects in developing countries. Everything from schools to prisons, from solar power to coal, um, and uh, from clean water to gas pipelines. And I remember in college when I was uh, praying and thinking about, you know, what God's will and path was for me in life, um, you know, what would be the best route. And I think as a student who was interested in international development, I, I did what most others did, and I applied to the Peace Corps. Uh, to uh, teach English in Africa. And uh, the, Peace, uh, the Peace Corps lost my application. Uh, this was before the age of the Internet, uh, even though I look like I'm 16. And um, instead, I did the next most obvious choice, and I took a job um, at Merrill Lynch in International Finance Track Program. <laughs> and I remember struggling with the decision at the time, even though the, uh, the pay difference was uh, important between the, the two options. Um, but I felt that um, God was telling me that I could be have a significant impact on, on people's lives through um, directing capital into developing countries for, uh, for important uh, infrastructure projects, and, and ultimately that's led me to where I am today. Thanks, everybody. Question number two. We'll just have a, a couple of people respond to this one. Uh, and just as you as you feel led, can you see the dignity and nobility of your work? Are you able to see it as God's work, bringing order and purpose out of chaos to promote human flourishing? In what ways? And this question comes from the the first week of the series when we talked about uh, how God, when He made us in the Garden of Eden, made us to work. That he, work isn't this later thing that came in. It was part of His original plan for us to work, for us to join Him in His work. Of, of improving creation, being partners with him. So that's what the second question is about. I'll read it again. Can you see the dignity and nobility of your work? Are you able to see it as God's work, bringing order and purpose out of chaos to promote human flourishing in what ways? Well, I can go on. I got into the moving business because it is a very dignified and noble um, profession. Um, but seriously, um, I realized that my job and my focus is to bring God glory and it drives my everyday it drives how I interact with my coworkers. it drives how I interact with 
my clients, and if I can do a good job of modeling the Christian life um, to them, they may see something in me that they want. Um, and also, you know, as Matt said last week in his sermon, that, you know, I feel like God's given me a little bit of responsibility here, and I'm looking forward to earning the rewards of uh, a lot of responsibility in the, in the next stage. Certainly bringing order out of chaos. Uh, I'll second what Dan said. Um, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist probably to do what I do. In fact, I said earlier, you know, this is a hobby for a lot of people that I've somehow shifted into a career. But I think the thing that I, you know, take most pride in is, is I do feel like, you know, I'm using a God-given gift on a, a daily basis. So, um, you know, a lot of people talk about following your dreams and passions and, um, you know, he, he created that path for me. Um, and I can very much see that in, in a, a day-to-day thing, you know, that, that um, you know, the, the, basically the things that he's, he's, or that I've learned and the skills that I have are God-given skills. And um, I'm not, not only able to bless others' lives, you know, I'd, I'm passionate about what I'm doing, and I love what I'm doing, and I think that resonates on camera. But I, I would say more so, you know, I was in uh, Richmond, Virginia two weeks ago, and um, we did, it was for Scott's Miracle Grow, but the, we gave this family, a well-deserving family, a whole new backyard, you know? And so everybody was in tears by the end of it. And um, I know that's like, so again, kind of cliche, but... I, I think that that's the most rewarding thing um, about God putting me in this position is that he's, he's showed me that it can change lives and it can be beneficial and um, that those, those passions and those skills that he's blessed me with can be shared with the world. Yeah, I feel that maybe the most important way that there's dignity in my work is um, perhaps in the, in the least obvious. I think... Um, in the most obvious way, uh, you know, as an example, you know, we, we made the largest private investment in the history of Haiti, um, where we provided uh, telecommunications, wireless telecommunication, to um, what what went, went from three percent of the population to sixty-five percent of the population, and it made small businesses more productive, and it um, uh, connected families, and ultimately saved countless lives um, during the earthquake. Um, but at the end of the day, I do work on Wall Street, and ultimately, uh, the the one main objective um, is to maximize returns for for our shareholders. And so, perhaps the, the most important dignity in my work is how I go about maximizing profitability uh, for my company. Um, and it could be everything from how we uh, treat people around us uh, with with respect and and dignity. Everything from the mail sorter to, to, to senior management, and probably important in my case is how we go about uh, raising questions about decisions that are being made at our at our companies, um, and how those decisions may impact negatively um, other stakeholders like communities where where we're making investments. Um, so that's kind of how I would see it. I'm glad I went before you. <laughs> He's changing the world. I'm- renovating a backyard. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just going to say about the, the act of creativity or attempting to be creative is so mysterious 
and so other, and even before I had a relationship with Christ, certainly knowing that it had very little to do with me. And so I start my work day in prayer, and I pray all day long to get out of the way, to, to allow space for something good to happen. And every once in a while, or just often enough, it does. It doesn't mean what I'm writing is scripture, but it does mean that I, once in a while I get close to, tell, to telling the truth, which I think is the calling of the artist. So I want to tell my favorite story about the creative process, and it involves... Uh, Bono. I don't know if anybody's heard of Bono. <laughs> um, my wife knows his wife. So I had a chance one time to meet him and talk to him about what I think is, are the greatest lyrics, or you could think of it as a poem, about grace ever written. And it's from the song Until the End of the World. I don't know if you're familiar with that song. It's from Octung Baby. And it is a song written from the perspective of Judas to Jesus. And the last verse says, let's see if I can get through this without crying. I always cry. I cry like I have a new backyard when I do this. <laughs> so Judas says, in my dreams I was drowning my sorrows, but my sorrows they learned to swim, going down on me, surrounding me, spilling over the brim. In waves of regret and waves of joy, I reached out for the one I tried to destroy. You, you said you'd wait till the end of the world. Jesus forgiving Judas. So when I met Bono, I jumped right in. I thanked him for those lyrics, and I said it was the, the greatest poem about grace ever written. And he immediately said, well, that was the Holy Spirit. And I said, well, we can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. And he said, oh, we can do a lot without the Holy Spirit. It just doesn't add up to anything. Did you cry in front of Bono? <laughs> <laughs> this is good. This is going to just keep building as this goes on. I like this. Third question. Jesus said the second most important commandment is to love our neighbors. But the very idea of love entering today's corporate work environment is very countercultural. What does it look like for you to serve your clients, colleagues, etc., with love? Um, so, to me, serving and loving my colleagues is simply being present um, with them and being intentional about my conversations and interactions with them. It's praying for them, um, praying for opportunities to encourage them and bless them, and then having the courage to be honest in uncomfortable um, situations. Um, it's listening to what they say, um, but more importantly, listening to what they're not saying, um, kind of meeting them where they are, and again, just reminding them of their value, apart from their education, apart from their income, um, helping them see that they have value um, just because they're people and God's children um, instead of like the tasks or roles that they fill within the office. Uh, so for me, loving and serving my colleagues and clients and even our investors, anyone kind of we're interacting with in our company, it means a couple of things. One, uh, 
I'd like, and I'll talk about this on, a, on another question a little bit more in depth, but it means like in the challenging times where, you know, I've had several opportunities to abandon it or quit or give up or whatever, uh, sticking it out, sticking it out and honoring my commitment to all these people, honoring my commitment to our investors, honoring my commitment to my partners, honoring my commitment to our employees and really just sticking it out even when it is, when it is tough and when there doesn't look like there's a way uh, towards success or a positive outcome, really just persevering and, and sticking out. So that's, that's the first thing. And then towards honoring clients um, and having a servant attitude towards clients, it means also just not necessarily trying to, you know, charge them the highest price uh, for our service and making sure services, making sure prices commensurate with value, making sure that I'm just providing as much value to them as possible and, and only, and that what I'm getting back from them is commensurate with the value that, that I'm providing to them. And, and it also means thinking they're worth, thinking they're worth serving, thinking they're worth providing that value to, thinking they're worth investing time to sell something to them. They're worth educating on the value that I can provide to them. And, uh, and that is, that's often tough because some people are dumb. Uh, and, <laughs> And and need to be you need need you need to be patient with them and, and educate them and really show them that you've got something valuable for them that can change the way they work. All right, uh, you kind of touched on this. Um, yeah, I mean, where do I go with this? I think it's sort of love is definitely ingrained in who I am. My mom, I grew up and I got sick of it. Honestly, First Corinthians, what is it, thirteen, thirteen. Abideth faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And um, but she she not only quoted it, she definitely lived it. So that made a difference. Um, and then I will say too, my dad was like the biggest hugger, like obnoxious hugger. And I find myself doing that as well, but um, not all the times with clients. But um, I will I will say, you know, there there is a fine balance between um, you know being able to swing a hammer and um, knowing a couple of people at HGTV. Uh, results in a lot of unsolicited phone calls and emails, and um, I love being able to help others. But as a career, it's it's tough to find that balance between okay, is God, is God asking me to do this favor for this friend and install this light fixture because um, this is also what puts food on on the table for my family. So um, I, I I think it's case by case, but God, you know, time and time again has has taken a simple example like that and turned it into a much bigger opportunity. So I I oftentimes, you know, try to get out of my own head and think about, you know, it's not just about me, you know. So um, I don't know. It it does take consistent guidance. Um, You know, I I think when you're out of touch with God, you do what you want to do, which is stay home with your family instead of installing a life fixture. Um, which could close a door that God wanted to open. So um, I think it's just being receptive to that love. You know, I, I think it's ingrained in anyone who's a Christian. You know, you feel that love. Um, and I will say, as far as the work series goes, this is, this is a great sort of way to, you know, people ask me all the time, like, what drives you? You know, it's like, because I show up on set and I'm, you know, bouncing off the walls and having a good time, but, um, and not taking it way too seriously, but... Um, you know, this is a great way to, I guess, prove your faith. Um, people ask, you know, when you genuinely love someone um, and, you know, you make that 
that right decision, that tough decision, um, I, I think it shows. And I think from the outside looking in, it's, it's a great way, you know, not only to love on your coworkers and colleagues, but um, to have others notice and ask you, you know, where, where, do, where does this love come from? How do I get this love? How do I obtain this love? And, and none of us have it without Jesus. So. so that's a good segue to question number four, which is, do the people you work with know you're a Christian? If so, how do, how do they know? Can you describe your relationship with a colleague with whom you shared your faith in some form? Did you plan for it intentionally? Was there one key conversation or did it build over time? I can go. Um, everyone at work knows I'm a Christian. Um, as the owner of the company, I can, you know, it's a tough struggle with how much do you share or not share. Um, but some of the things I've been able to do was, like, for example, we institute a curse bucket um, in the office that, you know, every time someone curses, they have to put money in the curse bucket, and we're going to donate the money to charity. And as you can imagine, in the moving business, it's getting pretty full pretty fast. <laughs> Um, so that's, that's one thing. But another thing is when people are, you know, when I talk to them, I'll tell them I'm going to pray for them. Um, when something good happens, we can't find something in the warehouse and the client needs it in the second. And I'll tell people I'm going to pray for it, that we'll find it. And when we find it, I can praise God in front of everyone saying I was praying for it and we got it. So that's just some of the ways that, that I let people know. I remember going out pitching a project with a colleague, and we'd pitched it about five times, different studios, and he said to me, okay, Todd, we got to pitch this afternoon, no more scripture. <laughs> so everybody knows, it's, it's the only interesting thing to talk about to me is Christ, so, and because almost no one knows the Bible, and no one knows that the root of all great storytelling is the Bible. You can easily reference everything. You, know, you reap what you sow, the, you know, the abandoning of Joseph, the worries of King David. It all relates to the stories that are being told now in movies and television. If you look at movies, you often find Christians go, oh, I see elements of Christianity in Superman or this and, and that. The, the reason that there are elements is because in every story, the ultimate story was written by God through Christ. So, of course, every story, you will see Christ, the reflection of it, the yearning for it, or the absence of it. So to be a storyteller and not constantly reference the spine of all story it would be madness. So, yeah, um, we, we do a lot of praying. I have many amazing Jewish friends who believe in God, and we pray together before projects, before we go pitch something. Everybody comes to church with me when I'm in L.A., so, yeah, they, they know. And it's fun, man. It's really fun. We've got the good news and the, uh, this, this pathway to peace and joy and light and redemption and forgiveness. How could you not share it? This is one of my favorite topics. Um, everyone at work does know that I'm a Christian, and it most definitely was not always that way. Um, I had a lot of fear about talking about my faith at work, and I went to great lengths to hide it for quite some time. Um, our office has several conference rooms and several uh, uh, phone rooms, um, places where you can pop in and make a phone call or you know, catch up on your email um, and get some private time if you need it. But all of those doors are made of glass, so people can easily see what you're doing. 
um, one day I was having a really tough day at work and just needed a private place to go. I didn't want to go into the bathroom, so I found a really large supply closet that was on the bottom floor where I thought no one could possibly find me and no one had a reason to be walking by at that particular hour. So I went in and I, you know, quickly prayed in tongues very quietly, you know, figured, great, you know what I said, I don't, but I'm sure it's going to work. And when I came out, two of my colleagues were standing outside and they were, you know, sort of like, what, what were you doing in there? And, and I, you know, tried to play it off as casually as possible, like, I, what do you mean? And they were like, you, 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 you are, you were in the supply closet. That's, that's uh, pretty clear. And I said, well, I'm glad you're here because I'm out of that closet. And they were like, okay. And I said, yeah, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out of the Christian closet. Okay. This was, this has been my Christian closet and I'm not going back into it. I'm out. A closet is a terrible place to live. Um, and so they were sort of like, okay, well, you know, you, you certainly didn't have to hide that from us, but that's great. And um, since then, I try to work it into conversation as much as I possibly can. Um, I think my fear about talking about it was that people were going to assume I was weird or didn't have a normal social life or wouldn't want to be around me. And so I try to uh, work it into conversation and to almost show as an ambassador of sorts that you can have a great sense of humor and you can have friends of many different varieties and you can be successful at work and still be the same person that you are on Sunday morning when we come together at LMCC. Um, so asking someone what they did over the weekend and they tell me about their weekend and then they ask me the same question because it's polite and to just simply say, you know, I, I went to church and then we had dinner with friends, it usually prompts some other light casual question um, and now people know and I feel that more and more and more as new people come to our office or as people go further into their own faith um, they feel more comfortable to express that and I hope that they feel that same sense of relief that I feel whenever I learn that someone else is a Christian and that there's that that reassurance that I'm not alone and I'm not crazy and it might be 2015 but the Bible is still the best thing that I've got in my life, and I would be such a mess without it. Um, so, yes, the people that I work with know that I'm a Christian. Um, I'm not really one to com compartmentalize my life. Um, I'm pretty open about my faith and kind of living for an attending church and kind of living for a higher purpose. Um, also, a few years back, uh, Grant and I hosted a Bible study and, at our apartment and um, invited our friends of different faiths or no faith at all to come and read scripture with us. Uh, Grant and I uh, were both raised, you know, growing up in the church and um, had been taught to interpret scripture a certain way and to live out our faith in a certain way. And um, we kind of just invited people to come and teach us how to interpret the text differently um, and encourage them to to just have an open, it was kind of like an open forum discussion where we just kind of shared our lives with each other. And um, uh, it's kind of cool when you kind of approach it that way because it kind of knocks down a lot of the walls thinking, hey, I've got all the answers for you. Instead, it's kind of like, hey, you teach me about the text that 
that I'm most familiar with and try to live my life by. Um, so, so that was pretty cool. I think another thing is um, that I've done is just um, invited my colleagues to participate um, in part of the community outreach programs that LMCC has helped organize, um, whether it be, um, you know, serving meals at Father's Heart or uh, uh, asking for donations for formal wear for families who can't um, afford prom attire. Um, and then also, like, volunteering in uh, Red Hook after Hurricane Sandy. And the positive response from inviting people to participate um, actually amazed me, and it's made it a lot easier to, um, to just bring it up in conversation. Um, we also implemented a swear jar when I was working for, <laughs> for our CLO. Um, and it was funny. Some weeks he would come in and he would just, like, give me a 20 and be like, it's going to be a bad week. Um, <laughs> and so, um, but, yeah, it's, like, little things like that that, that you can do to kind of um, just be a blessing. Um, yeah. Question number five. God requires humility whereas many industries seem to reward self-promotion. Have you found that trying to walk humbly has put you at a competitive disadvantage in terms of career development? If so, does that bother you? How do you deal with that? Well, well, I would say that it probably used to bother me more than it does now. Um, as I try to continue and grow um, in my faith, it bothers me less and less. You know, if my goal is to advance God's kingdom and not gain a competitive advantage, um, then I hope I'm going to keep doing that, and that'll drive my choices and how I treat people, how I treat my clients. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, um, what I'm looking to hear is not you got the job or you did this really well. I'm looking to hear Jesus say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, enter into the joy of your Lord. So, I actually see uh, humility actually as one of the um, biggest competitive advantages uh, and not, and not uh, disadvantages. I think it's been one of the biggest enhancers of my uh, tra- trajectory in my career and has set me apart. Um, and you might ask yourself, well, how is that possible? I mean, Wall Street is one of the most humble places you can find on earth. <laughs> and um, what, what, you know, what we ha- you know, have to remember is that even though humility is core to the Christian faith, it's also just core to, to human nature, right? I mean, humility is what allows people to o- open up to you, uh, to trust you, um, and to feel like the decisions that, that you're making um, benefit them too. And I think... Um, humility and, and Christian humility in, in leadership also makes people feel um, empowered um, and, and makes them feel part of the decision-making process. And I think that that's been super helpful in terms of um, uh, my, my career path on, on Wall Street. So I think, for me, humility you know, should go all the way up there in terms of your, uh, your past work experiences and the number of languages that, 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 you, uh, that, you, that you speak. Um, Because I think it's something that's really powerful in the workplace. I think it's tough to be humble in the workplace, um, especially if you aspire to climb the corporate ladder, so to speak. Um, And there doesn't seem to be a ladder anymore. Things seem to be very lateral, I feel, across all industries anyhow. But still, I think, you know, anyone that's trying to put their best foot forward wants to succeed and you want to see yourself do well. Um, I... 
started to surrender that control um, and those aspirations when I found uh, Proverbs 22:29. I made that the password to my computer to log on. Um, so that I have that daily reminder that a skillful worker is always going to be in demand and that uh, a skillful worker who has a heart for God is always going to be rewarded and stand in front of those prominent people and and have those prominent positions. And it it doesn't matter uh, what others are doing to try to hinder that progress or what I think I may be doing to advance my own Uh, my own well-being. Um, It really comes down to this everlasting, eternal word that is not going to be shaken. It has nothing to do with me. Uh, So whenever I'm in that place where I find myself wanting to go back to those sort of shrewd and brash methods to get ahead, I remind myself that it is going to be that humble, simple, loving work that God sees and that he notices um, and that he puts on a pedestal for others to see. Last question. We'll close with this. Talk about a time when you were deeply frustrated in your work, but your faith gave you the strength, motivation, hope, and optimism to persevere. And this question comes from the the first sermon as well. We talked about work was created as this good thing, but it, because of sin, is now cursed. God says to Adam in the garden, now the ground will produce thorns and thistles for you, and by the sweat of your brow, you'll earn your bread. So we've talked about that several times throughout the, the series, about the, the curse that's now fallen on work and the difficulty that attends it, and that's what this question is about. I'll read it a second time. Talk about a time when you were deeply frustrated in your work, but your faith gave you the strength, motivation, hope, and optimism to persevere. Well, I would say as, as a writer, later tonight when I'm writing, um, tomorrow morning, every day I've ever sat down in front of a blank piece of paper, I've been that frustrated. Um, farming is the apt, and, and you know about writing too, you're preparing sermons and, and the journey to, to fill up that blank page. Um, farming is a really apt metaphor for the job that I do. And you said thorns and thistles and, and cursed and I would say that I actually have experienced the opposite. I've never planted wheat and gotten wheat. Not one time in my 27 years have I gone in one direction with one project and had it become in any way what I was hoping it would become. Not once. But no matter what I plant, something will grow. So I look out the back window and I have corn. I never planted corn. But now I have it, so God is sustaining me. The, the manna principle is very strong in, in the artist's life. And I actually think for anybody who is thinking about becoming an artist or is drawn in that direction, run toward it because it is the easiest job to line up with the Christian faith. Because in order to, to pull it off, you have to not worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear you must live completely in the moment. You cannot worry about the future. You have to rest completely on the Lord's kindness and his sustenance. So if you do that, if you keep farming your field, you certainly you grow thistles and thorns. That happens. But he's always sustaining us. He's always providing us what we really need. And again, like I said at the beginning, retraining the human soul to stop wanting what we want, which is damaging, 
and want what he wants, which is healing and transformative. Then you start to see the, the scriptures and, and what looks like at the beginning of your life. Don't do that as uh, shackles. And you start to see it as liberation. Wow, by not doing that, I'm free. I'm the only free one I know. All my other friends and colleagues are shackled because they are doing the thing that God doesn't want us to do. So the, the lining up of, of obedience and, and discipline, the, la- the last thing I'll say is in order to be good at what you do, I mean, you know this completely with your, your, uh, your hammer and nail. In order to be good at what you do, you have to be disciplined. You have to show up for work. You can't just want it to work out. Gee, I hope that light fixture goes up okay or doesn't fall down. You, you, have, to, you have to keep going at the work. And so it made me examine discipline. What is that word? We use it in a pejorative sense. Uh, don't eat that donut. Or you're going to discipline your child. Or it's, it's always used negatively. But if you unpack the word, it's disciple. That's it. Jesus said, follow me. That's discipline. It's that simple. So if you just follow Jesus, all the other stuff goes away. And when you cry out to your Lord in deep frustration, you know he hears you and you know he's not going to walk away. In terms of frustration at work, this past year has been probably the most challenging I've experienced. Uh, Flashback to a year ago today, and our company had three months of capital in the bank. Uh, We needed a few big things to happen over the summer in order to continue as a company. Um, So we needed to either strike like a few big revenue deals with clients or raise more money from investors. Uh, We, after a summer of hard work, none of that panned out. So we're looking ourselves in the eye in August and we're saying, we still had a couple of investors still in the mix. So we're looking ourselves in the eye and we're saying, all right, we're going to stick this out for till the, till the holidays. Uh, and, and that was painful. My partner, Andy and I were like, all right, we're going to go without pay for three months. Uh, and, and like, I, I went home and I prayed and I journaled about it and I was like, am I crazy? And all the uncertainty was just paralyzing. Um, and it's about around then, and I, like, I'd pray and I'd ask God for, like, what am I supposed to be doing? What's going to happen? Is this going to go? Like, what do I tell my parents if I fail? They're, they're here today. Um, <laughs> uh, and and it, uh, my, my dad actually gave me a verse to meditate on uh, from Isaiah, Isaiah 50, verses 7 and 9, which is, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be put to shame. Therefore, uh, I set my face like a flint determined to do as well. And that told me to persevere and to keep going and to keep at it uh, amidst all the uncertainty. And into the year, uh, we raised money, about 15 months more of capital to, to keep us going. But then, and we decide then, all right, this year is going to be, we're going to be focused on just scaling up, driving as much revenue as possible. We feel like the product's in a good place. Let's just hit the gas on, on sales. So we add people to the sales team. We're ready to go. As soon as we hire those people, our most important vendor terminates their agreement with us, basically destroying our product, killing our product. Uh, that was two months ago. Um, so the past two months have been insane us just scrambling, trying to get people grandfathered into the agreements, trying to potentially find an acquirer for the company. And I was just, when that happened, I was just like, 
are you serious, God? Like, you had us raise money in December only to have our agreement terminated in March. Like, I felt like the the Israelites in the desert after, like, getting getting out of Egypt saying, like, really, like, you brought us here to just die in the desert? Um, and that was, I that's, it's just been incredibly, incredibly frustrating. Uh, and so now we're kind of back to square one. We're, like, back to the drawing board trying to figure out you know, we started working on a new product that has some promise potentially. I, we're, we still have a ton of cash in the bank that we need to figure out how to use appropriately to build, to make something happen with. And, and the uncertainty is, again, paralyzing. There's a couple of things that my faith has helped me with in this time. Uh, one is, what is it? <laughs> Um, so the first is, the first is just looking back and seeing that God has been faithful, knowing that he has in every time of need been there, uh, been there to sustain as Todd, as Todd mentioned, there's a, there's a, a hymn I sing to myself, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And there's a line in there, which is how I've proved him over and over. And I look at my life, I look at my parents' lives, I look at everything, and I see that God has been faithful over and over and over again and will be. And so there is no need to to be paralyzed by the uncertainty that, that really what he wants me to do is just trust and, and obey him. And And then the other thing there is there's a, in terms of just like getting through each day, um, I came across uh, in a devotional a, med- a meditation on Lamentations 3.22, which is uh, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, mercies never come to an end, they're new every morning. And what this devotional was saying, what this meditation was saying was that today's mercies are for today. That you're not expected to bear tomorrow's burdens on today's mercies. Today's mercies are going to be equal to today's burdens. And so you wake up in the morning, you take today's mercies, you use them fully to tackle the battles of today and then go to bed and wake up trusting for new mercies tomorrow that will be there for the battles that will be faced tomorrow. And that that helps a little bit. I mean, this is still pretty fresh, so we'll see <laughs> in a month or two, but uh, that that has helped. Listening to everyone today has made me realize that I have to start giving God that time again in the morning. I think I've been giving it to Matt Lauer and Willie Geist, and I should probably just be spending that time with God instead because I can think back and remember how in my toughest moments and and weeks or months at work, um, it was always taking that moment in the morning to just set my mind on him that always ended up making a difference. You know, the truth is that I spend more waking hours with my colleagues than I do with my husband. And the truth is that my colleagues probably get the best of me most days because by the time I get uh, by the time I get home and you know been through that tough day, I I may not be the best version of myself. Um, So I started trying to really take advantage of that. That someone sees me with makeup on and maybe a matching outfit, and I'm nice and I'm I'm coherent. Let me try to take advantage of that of that time when I'm at work. Um, 
So as I'm going through those struggles, I try to be as honest as I can, not only for myself, but for my colleagues as well, so that they can help keep me accountable. And just going back to what I was saying before about sort of that fear and who you are when you're at work, I mean, let's be honest, the struggle is real. People may not want to hear the word Jesus Christ in their day. You know, it may, it, it may even aggravate them at times. Um, and so I try to work around that pressure by remembering that it may not be my job to bring them all the way to Christ. Someone else may have planted the idea that this can be a part of your your lifestyle, and maybe it's just my job to just water that a little bit today, to just sort of reinforce that idea, and to just water myself and water my own spirit throughout the day as well. Um, I'm a crazy, cranky person when I get hungry, and I try not to let my spirit starve the same way I make sure to get in line at Panera Bread by 12 o'clock. so, yeah. Let's thank these guys for their honesty and vulnerability. And please pray with me. God, I want to thank you for these seven people that were up here this morning. And I want to thank you for every person that's, that's here, for every person in this church. You've given each of us such different gifts and abilities. You've called us each to different things. We've each been on different paths and ended up at different places. But the one thing that we have in common is what Moses was talking about just a, a second ago. The one thing we all have in common is that you have been faithful to us. You've been faithful to push us and prod us and draw us to the place that you want us to be. And then you've been faithful to sustain us once we get there, to sustain us in the doing. And we want to thank you for that faithfulness this morning. We want to express our gratitude for it. And we want to ask that as we continue to depend on you, you'd continue to lead us, that all these pieces of faith and work together that we don't have figured out, that you'd show us what that looks like, that you'd help us be growing more and more day by day and week by week into the people that you created us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.